So is scarcity unreal? Yes, scarcity does not exist. So in my country currently, there's fuel scarcity. Now, how do you get fuel? By refining crude oil. Is crude oil present? Yes. Are there refineries? Yes, there are systems around the refinery which could refine this crude oil. So what's happening? Why is there fuel scarcity? Somehow we created it and we just love to thrive in it. Hey, if you're new here, I'd like you to follow up on our other conversations. But hey, you're here now. Welcome. So scarcity is unreal. Now, why is scarcity unreal? The concept of scarcity mindset is actually what feeds scarcity. So the concept of scarcity differs from scarcity mindset. However, the feeder of scarcity is the scarcity mindset. So we'd have to explore the scarcity mindset in order to understand what scarcity is and to understand that scarcity actually is unreal. So what is the scarcity mindset? The scarcity mindset says we are six in number, but there are only four vacancies. So we have to struggle, hustle, grind. Anyway, two people are not going to get anything. The abundance mindset, which seem like a great solution, says that I don't know how many we are in the world or we are here, but I can tell you one thing, there's enough to go around. That's the abundance mindset. The abundance mindset is an effective cure to the scarcity mindset. But let's break this concept further. Assume we have a triangle, we divide it by an horizontal line. So we have a, a part on top and then we have the bottom part. Now on the bottom part, we write scarcity there and on the upper part, we put abundance there. At the lower half, where we have the scarcity mindset, there are two faces there. There's one face, which is the getting, the acquisition, the acquiring, the receiving, the mentality that, look, you just have to acquire, you just have to get stuff, you just have to keep getting things because things are limited, things are uh, insufficient, things would eventually get exhausted. So we just have to find a way to keep, once you have an opportunity, acquire. You get an opportunity, receive. You get an opportunity, get things and just keep the resources, just keep getting them. What's in higher than that in that same scarcity mindset half? lower half would be that when you get, you can then give. So there's the giving part, which suggests that, look, you can't really give. But once you have enough, you've gotten enough, then you can begin to release. Now, the upper half of that square, that part is the abundance part. Now, the lower part there, which is number three, because we have two parts already, one, two. Now, the third part there says abundance, things are sufficient, but then... Things are sufficient, but somehow it could still get exhausted in future. I mean, maybe who knows what's going to happen in the next 50 years, 60 years. I know there's enough now, but we never can tell. This thing can still get exhausted eventually. So while we know that there is, we should still find a way to still add to it. So there's still some form of acquiring, there's still some form of getting, there's still some form of receiving. Though you, you're aware that, you know, things are not really scarce per se, there's abundance, but still we just have to be extra sure. So let's keep acquiring. And then the higher part of that is having the abundance mindset, but having the abundance mindset and not saying that we still have to get. This part says we have abundance. I have the abundance mindset. There is abundance. And look, there's so much. I have so much within me that I am a giver. 
I keep giving, I keep giving, I keep releasing. In fact, I can't even exhaust all that exists both within me and the resources around us. There are so much, there are excess. Because it's not just enough to say there is abundance or that you are living in it. Because you can have so much cash. I mean, you could have so much money and still be apprehensive of the stock market, for example. You could still be afraid of, you know, share prices, you know, crashing, waking up overnight and all your money is gone. You could just invest into Forex and, you know, overnight is gone. You could trade this coin and you could just wake up in the morning and it's all vanished into thin air. So there's that consciousness that do I have currently, I could be a millionaire, but then we just have to be conscious that we could still get more because the future is bleak. We cannot predict the future. The what ifs, what if, what if, what if. I know I have now, which is sufficient, but what if, what if, what if. That's it. It's more like having great health now, yet you're scared that you could fall sick. <laughs> Or you're currently eating food and then you're just wondering that what if this place sleeps and all the food is wasted? Oh, this interesting one. What if my idea gets stolen? It's an interesting one because I faced this dilemma as well. I kept my idea locked in. I stashed it in a vault. Then I, want, I, I, I had a fear. What, this idea is so good. It's so beautiful. It's so amazing. What if someone gets to hear of this idea? Oh my God, they're going to steal my idea. And then that's it. I'll be done for. So I kept my idea to myself. Until of course I understood that that was a scarcity mindset. Now, but where has this scarcity, this scarcity mindset, where did it originate from? I could tell you one thing. There is... A history to it. I'm a person of faith and I strongly believe that the history of the scarcity mindset dates way back to the first and second human that first lived the earth. So from the fall, we had the story of the account in the Bible. I like it because it's one of the most accurate, in fact, it's the accurate account of the history of humankind. So let's go back to the fall where you had Adam and Eve living in the garden and then they had children. They had Cain and Abel. Abel was actually going to do a particular sacrifice. He was going to offer some certain things. And then Cain, his brother, was also going to do the same thing. But they were offering the sacrifice to God. So God accepted the sacrifice of Abel. God did not accept the sacrifice of Cain. And Cain was angry. And it seemed like a competition. Like, why would you accept Abel? What's wrong with me? And God was trying to tell him that, look, it's not about what's wrong with you. Everyone could get accepted. It's just that you did something wrong. It's not about Abel's offering something that is great. And then you, you know, you're not doing something great. It's not about that. There's no competition here. It's fine. Everyone can get access. Just do the right thing and you're done for. And then eventually Cain took Abel's life. Why? I mean, you could also do the same thing. What has Abel got to do with this? Abel was not your problem. It wasn't because Abel was in the equation, you are going to get it wrong. But that was what Cain felt. And then he took Abel out of the equation. So he could, you know, probably do what? Fill in Abel's, I mean, position. And then there's this common story. So we're doing a bit of history. And then there's this common story where we hear of birth. And so people say that, you know what, even when you have um, for all life forms, it starts with the sperm cell and the egg. 
And so a lot of people come up with this narration and say, look, even while you were in the womb, you know, and then the sperms were swimming so many cells, you know, and then it was only one, a lot of, a lot of them were swimming, trying to get to the egg. And it was just you, it was just you. You were the only one that made it there. Every other one died. So even right from birth, there was competition. Everyone wanted to get, there was just one egg and then there were millions of sperm and then all of them were swimming and only one. So it gives the idea of competition, right? While that's a great story helping us understand what goes on in, bio in biology, the reproductive system, a very interesting thing. But then what that do with that kind of thinking is that it suggests that there's some form of competition, there's some form of scarcity, just one egg, millions of sperm, the rest have to die, just one goes in. That's an interesting story that feeds so much into that concept of scarcity mindset. How about school? So the school system, when it originated, you had grades. Some people have to get A and then some people would get B. And then you have positions, first position, second and third. Somehow someone have to, would get a first position, someone gets second, someone gets third. And these are some of the things that fit into these things. Competition, where we have first position, you couldn't have had everyone coming in first. No, someone has to come in second, third, you have to be, and all of that. And someone maybe comes in last. And so these are suggestions that things are scarce. So the position of actually becoming successful is scarce. This is a history. And then there's a labor market. Remember, we're doing history talks about unemployment so jobs are unavailable of course because there's no single country with zero percent unemployment rate so what does that suggest it suggests that there are there are less jobs and more people requiring jobs so automatically there is unemployment and of course we, people have to scamper scamper for people have to scamper to get these positions to fill in these vacancies so like i said scarcity mindset we are six in number but there are only four opportunities and then there's investment. So people tell you things like, you can lose this. You need some form of security on this. You could actually lose this. You could lose this. This business can fail. This can fail. We have statistics of failed stuff. And it also gives us a suggestion that there is really failure. People would not do well. But while it's a great fact to suggest that, okay, people fail, what that does to you is that it suggests that the success of one limits the other. So for one success, we have to have a failure. And this is how most of these things have it. This is not exhaustive, but these are some of the things I came up with. I did a bit of research to understand why, where has this scarcity mindset evolved from? So let's break this concept into further bits. But before we go on, let's take the short break. It is true that information is knowledge and knowledge is power. But with all the information you've got, how much of it has helped you understand your uniqueness, capabilities and potentials? This podcast will simplify all of that information, help you understand your uniqueness and show you the path to your genius expression. Welcome. Hey, welcome back. So we're going to explore the solution to the scarcity mindset. How do we deal with it? Now that we've seen that it plagues almost all sectors, all aspects of the social construct, every aspect. We look at family, it's present there. We look at health, it's there, it's present. We look at our career path, it's there. We look at finance, for example, it's still there. Toiling is a concept that originated way back in history from the time of Cain and Abel. That was one of the things I mentioned. 
Now, there's something with toil. Toiling suggests that things are not easy. And actually, this was something that was pronounced or this was something that became the experience of mankind right from the time of Adam and Eve. So something happened and then they had to, they had to experience this kind of thing. And there was toiling introduced into their experiences, daily experiences. So toiling suggests that things are not easy to come by. And when things are not easy to come by, somehow it suggests limitation. It suggests that this thing could be limited. It suggests that this thing could even get exhausted. It's finite. Hence the idea of competition. Hence the struggle, the hustle, the daily bustle to at least get something, to just keep acquiring, to at least just find something to do. And there's this interesting story I like, and it's the story about this group of people who are standing idle. It's still a Bible account. I really love exploring scriptures because it gives a lot of understanding to contemporary issues. So this group of people were standing idle. There was this man who owned a vineyard. And then he came to them and said, guys, you're standing idle. <laughs> What's happening? And they said, look, no one gave us. We don't have a job or something. We don't have anything doing. And he said, come on, there's, there's a lot of opportunities there. My farm is there. My vineyard is there. You could go work and I, I'm, I would definitely pay you. There's lots of work to be done. And they said, oh, really? Yeah, really. And then they went in there and then they walked. And after the working hours at the close of the day, he paid them. I like this story because it, it brings to the understanding that in contemporary days, we say jobs are scarce. Really? Are jobs really scarce? Are opportunities really scarce? Maybe we created them artificially, and that's why we now experience the concept of scarcity. Maybe I'm just saying. So another story I really like that adds up to this previous story is the one where um, Jesus Christ was teaching his disciples, and then he told them there was lots of work to be done. He was giving them an, was an analogy, he was telling them about how God really wanted them to do some kind of work, like the God work, you know, telling people about him, telling people about the love of God and all of that. And then he was trying to tell them that, look, the work is so much, but the laborers are few. I don't even have time to, to you know, even get into maybe secondary stuff, like just joking around, playing around, sleeping, you know, just spending more time sleeping and all of that, maybe seeing movies. And he said, he said look, the laborers are few, and because of that, there's lots of work to be done. What does that suggest? It suggests that the opportunities are there. There are even less people. But then we flip the concept and we tell ourselves things like, look, opportunities are less. Why people are so much? So there's unemployment. But this concept, this story he told is the opposite of what we find nowadays. He says, look, there are lots of opportunities. There's vacancies. But we, we, are, we are yet to find sufficient people. Do you have people you could recruit? We don't know. We've exhausted our list. We can't even find enough people. But the concept we have nowadays is, look, things are really scarce to come by. Opportunities, jobs, health, people who we could trust are hard to come by. Where did we get all of this from? I'll tell you something. Currently, in most parts of Nigeria, for example, there's fuel scarcity. So if there's a scarcity of fuel, what would that go back to? Two, two things. It means that crude oil is insufficient, the flow, or maybe it's gotten exhausted. And so we can't access crude oil, so we can't refine. Or two, we can access crude oil, but we cannot refine it. 
So hence, there will be scarcity because um, we can't refine. Those are the two issues, right? But that's not the issue we have. And in other parts of the world where scarcity of fuel exists, so there's crude oil, there are refineries, yet the scarcity of fuel. What does that suggest? It suggests something. And it's more like the examples we find when it comes to food. There's food scarcity in most parts of, in some part of the world, for example. There's water scarcity in some part of the world. What does that say? Is water limited or almost getting exhausted? Nope. How about food? Is food really in short supply? Not really. There's actually food, but there's scarcity of food. It brings to mind an interesting concept of economics where we have demand, supply, and price and how that when um, supply goes up and demand goes down, then price crashes. But when demand is more and supply crashes, then the price is favorable, meaning the price goes up. So that's a better way for economics to work. I mean, the market... Somehow things get valuable when they are maybe in short supply and then prices go up. But maybe that doesn't favor the masses, the general public, but somehow it favors the businesses. It favors how things work. This is no conspiracy theory, but this only suggests that there's a wiring we have to understand that scarcity is not a natural concept. Scarcity does not exist. Scarcity is a man-made concept, an official concept. And it's not a concept, while scarcity can exist sometimes because people want to, you know, all sorts of intentions, most part of scarcity, I'll tell you, is just a wiring thing. That's just how we do things. It's how we, it's how we design the flow of society. It's how we define, it's how we, we design structures. It's just, it, it's now like a natural, it comes natural now to just understand that, look, this is how things work. But if we ask ourselves the solid question, are things really scarce? Is water scarce? No. Is food scarce? No. There's abundant agricultural supply. There's, there's abundant plant supply, animal supply everywhere. Are jobs scarce? <laughs> That's a question. An interesting concept. Are jobs scarce? One of the things I've understood about jobs is that when you go into jobs with the concept of getting, acquiring, it has to be scarce because... The idea of the world and how the world works is supply. We give because we have so much within us and there's so much supply around us. It suggests that we already are enough for what we need to become. And so we stand at a position where we supply, we give in our best, we contribute. Remember, we have the gifting, we have the talent, we have all the strengths, we have all the capacity within us to change the world, to evolve, to create value to refine, to make the world a better place, to make society better, to improve our civilization. It's all within man. It's all within our capacity. We can do that and we've been doing that and we'll continue to do that. But then we self-sabotage when we begin to think that, look, things are not sufficient. I mean, we create everything you see around. It's all man's creation. Every single thing you see, aside from the natural things, every other thing you see is man's invention, beautiful creation. How did we arrive at those? We've decided to contribute our value. But when you go in with the idea of getting, which is most of the concept of how 
jobs are being seen as the experience of jobs. So we go in there to get something. We go in there to get value. We go in there to get some form of that helps us to help to cater, to help our life better so we could fend for ourselves. We could get something. And so we go in there trying to acquire. You know why it can never be enough? You know why jobs cannot be enough? Because it's a man's creation. One man decides to create value and then a lot of people come to support, come in to feed off that, if you'd like to say it that way, or come in to contribute in any regard. And remember, it is one man's, it's one man's idea, but there are other ideas locked up in people. So when you're coming into a job, you're coming into an idea, you're coming to contribute because you equally have something to do. But when you come with the concept of getting, you're trying to get money, you're trying to get livelihood, you're trying to get support, it can't be enough. And that's why jobs are not enough. Unemployment exists. Unemployment would exist as long as people go in to get things. But if we decide to explore our gifting, our capacity, what we have within us, we decide to supply, we decide to give, be a giver. Then all of a sudden, overnight, we discover that things are now enough and even surplus. I like this particular wording which says it is more blessed to give than to receive. It means you are at a better position when you are a giver than a receiver. It's, it's surprising because it, it's, it doesn't support popular conversation where we have to get things. So we believe we have to get education, we believe we have to get a skill, we believe we have to get a job, we believe we have to get an education, a discipline, we have to get all of this in order for value to be birthed, as opposed to understanding that these things are not even the ultimate things that define your contribution to society. It is what you have, the capacity you have within you. That's what you're giving out, the value, the innovation, the thinking, the next generation of the world, the next future of AI next future of transportation. It comes from within. It's the idea that is birthed from within man. That is what the world looks for. And so the world awaits that. But we get stuck in the idea of saying we have to get things. We have to get things. Remember, it's now a wiring. So it's not more of your faults per se that you're trying to acquire, you're trying to get something, you're trying to get some form of sustenance. So I asked myself a question, if there's fuel scarcity, why don't we go get the crude oil and refine it since we have crude oil and we have refineries, why don't we just go get it? But somehow that's not how it works, right? <laughs> we just stay there and just queue up in the filling station spending hours, maybe because that's how we want it to work. That's how we respect the organization and the flow of things. But I challenge you, if you don't want that, you could always look to an alternative because scarcity is unreal. And I'll close with this. There are a lot of things, a lot of places you can explore this concept of scarcity and how that when you toil, when things are uneasy, it gives that understanding that perhaps things are limited or are not in, in sufficient supply. I like a particular example and the rendition of how the faith life, which is what Jesus Christ brought. And then he says, look, back then you had to keep the law. And what was the law? You had to cross all the T's, you had to dot all the I's. It was Herculean. It was laborious. Jesus Christ came and said, look, don't keep the law anymore. Forget about it. And it's like, oh, wow, don't keep the law. Interesting. He said, don't worry. I'm going to write it in your heart. So you don't have to. It's not an outside-in process where you're trying to keep the law from outside. This, 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 you take it off your list. No, don't worry. And that's the ultimate state called the flow state. It's a very interesting state in psychology, hitting the ground running, where all the capacity, everything you have within you 
is within you. You are not trying to become something. You're not trying to acquire something. You're not trying to pick on something to help you define, upgrade, uplift, or shine your anything. No, that all you have within you is sufficient and it's enough to position you as that genius who's going to be the future of healthcare, future of fintech, future of agri, future of education, future of the workplace engagements, future of everything. Scarcity will exist. Why? Because you're going after other people's resources. You abandoned yours. So there will be scarcity. It can't go around. And that's why scarcity exists. Explore yours. And the common question is, look, what do I have within me? Um, I don't know what it is. How can I explore? Those are not the right questions. The right understanding is that you have all it takes. You have all the capacity within you. You have all the resources at your disposal. Whatever you need is available because it's always there. I hope you decide to be a giver because that's the only way. You are a giver and that's what you're going to do. I hope you enjoyed this episode. See you around. If this episode hit all the right spots, do well to subscribe so you can get notified of future episodes. Cheers to your clarity.